raising new ground. Hello and thank you for tuning in to the third instalment of Ploughing Old Patterns, Raising New Ground. My name is Una Hamilton-Heller and I'm one half of Legion Projects, which is an artist-run organisation, and it's us that have commissioned this series of audio works, which are all loosely based around the subject of folk cultures and their continued relevance today. This episode is really exciting, as rather than being about a specific folk custom, it's about a place that inspires those types of customs. It's a podcast by the artist duo Oxar, which is Annabelle Pettigrew and Rob McPherson. And for this, they have delved deep into the significance of a place that's very dear to them, namely that of the Avebury Stone Circle. And of course, many of us who might have an above average interest in Britain's prehistoric landmarks, perhaps an affinity to the country's mythic underbelly, we know Avebury. We might even have visited it, whether that's in person or imaginatively through TV series, artist films, stories, and I'm no exception to that. I first visited Avery on a really cold February afternoon, many moons ago. I was there to take some photographs of the stones, and uh, it was turning into a bit of a battle against time, because the sun was setting and light was rapidly disappearing. I was doing an MA in photography at the time, and the project that I was taking these photographs for was about ley lines. I'd been told that Avery would be a good place to start on this quest that I was setting out on, which was to document these essentially invisible lines that supposedly crisscross the country. Ley lines are something you'll hear more about in Oxart's episode, but one of my favourite personal anecdotes about Avery happened when I was working in a job that allowed me to visit regional museums quite a bit. I just had a meeting at a local museum not too far from Avery when the local curator offered to give us a lift back. So we found ourselves having a bit chit-chat in the car um, and also finding ourselves on the road that goes right through Avebury, right through the stones. And during this chat, I'd already pushed him a little bit on the theory of ley lines and he dismissed the theory outright. He said, no, 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 nothing to it. Not a thing. But to my surprise, he then went on to say that if we're talking about energies in the land and if we're talking about formations in the land, there is something interesting about Avebury. And that is that when you look at most of the prehistoric forts that we have in Britain, they're designed to protect those inside the fort. They're designed to keep others out. But with Avebury, if you study it closely, the way that it's laid out in the land, apparently it lends itself more to keeping something in. This must have been something of considerable size, he said, something that must have been of such significance that they decided to build such an involved construction. He didn't speculate on what that might be or say anything more about his theory, but in regards to the topics that Annabelle and Rob will be reflecting upon, I thought it might just be a nice thought to keep in mind as we listen to the podcast. So, without further ado, here is the Avebury Enigma.
So in case you're unfamiliar with this site, Avebury Henge and Stone Circles is an enormous Neolithic sacred site, which is thought to have been built around 4,000 years ago. The site draws huge numbers of people to it every day, and Avebury has an allure. Artists, mystic beings, spiritual seekers are all drawn to Avebury. People go there after watching the 70s cult TV show Children of the Stones or Derek Jarman's Journey to Avebury as if they've been summoned through the screen. And when people start going to Avebury, they keep going to Avebury. Hello, I'm Annabelle. And I'm Rob. And this podcast is an exploration into our fascination with Avebury. We've called it the Avebury Enigma. Our shared obsession with stone circles and ancient sites will take us on a journey right across the UK seeking out these megalithic wonders, all the way from Scotland right down to the very tip of Cornwall and many, many in between. We've spent the last 10 years in search of the stones, but it all started with one place, Avebury. Our relationship with Avebury began way back in 2013 after a drizzly summer solstice celebration at Stonehenge just a few miles up the road. Tired and wet from welcoming the summer sun with the druids, the pagans and the revellers, we were called to Avebury. Over the past 10 years, we have found ourselves revisiting Avebury over and over again, drawn to the site as if an invisible force is pulling us in. Each time we came back to the stones, we would discover something new within the site and the surrounding landscape. The formation of the lichen, the traces of engravings on the stones, the tangled carpet of roots on the copper beech trees. For us, Avebury is more than just a collection of stones in the landscape. There's something magical, ethereal about Avebury, some kind of energy that keeps on drawing us back. It was December 2017, uh, walking along this pathway on the winter solstice and I thought you were behaving strangely. I mean, just make the pilgrimage from Silbury, just like we've done today. And then we stopped at this incredible looking stone, um, almost diamond shaped. It looks as if it's been dropped from space and just landed on the ground at the point. And we both just stopped here, didn't we? And I remember I put my hands on the stone. Today it's covered in like black, rings of black lichen. And I turned around, <laughs> and there you were on one knee. And ever since then, well, you proposed to me, and I of course said yes. <laughs> um, and it was the 22nd of December, 2017. And ever since then, we've made a pilgrimage to this site, in particular to this stone. Um, 
every year on that date. We also do it on the summer solstice and we also do it on the date um, as a sort of wedding anniversary. We do it on my birthday. We come here a lot. <laughs> it's this, this is the Avebury Enigma. Um, once it's got you, you're drawn to come to it. It makes you make a pilgrimage to it repeatedly. We come here as often as we can. The clip you just heard is our journey to what we call our stone, um, which is in fact located on the outer circle, stone number 12 to be precise. We call it our stone because this is the site of our relationship with Avebury. This is the place that we go to. Um, this is our story with Avebury. What I find so fascinating about Avebury is that Everyone who starts going to Avebury has their own relationship with the circle, with the stones. The mythology becomes like a personal mythology for each person who goes there. So we're on the top ridge now. And looking away from the circle, you can see the avenue, which has been described as the serpent, isn't it? Yeah. So this is the avenue of stones that connects the circles which are in the Avebury village and takes you right up to Silbury Hill. So it kind of connects these two major earthworks these two features of the landscape um, in a really long walk actually which then extends out in the other direction um, towards the sanctuary yeah and down to something that they call the Adam and Eve stones yes. which are the two the two very large square boulders which are the very very beginning entrance to the serpent wow it really is just a beautiful day the sun is just that perfect sort of midwinter, hello doggy, midwinter bright sun on a, it's really crisp and the sky is completely bright blue.
Walking down from the sanctuary, we come to the West Kennet Avenue. The West Kennet Avenue led us right down into the great circle at Avebury. When we're looking at a monument the size of Avebury, we're talking about throngs, crowds of people, people who've come for miles and miles. It's also likely that people stood on either side of the ancient avenue and watched significant characters themselves walking down. Julian Cope there, taken from the BBC documentary The Modern Antiquarian, made in 2000 to accompany the book of the same name. Cope describes Avebury as a great ceremonial centre, a landscape temple open to the sky. And of course, you can't talk about Avebury without mentioning Silbury Hill. The ancients are walking down, freaking out. It's a psychological plot to totally blow their minds. Only at this point does Silbury stop riding on the back of Waden Hill to be revealed as the largest, single largest mound that these people would ever have seen. At this point, the sacred landscape opens up to them. Silbury. We are, we've come to the end of the avenue. We've just passed through the gate. We're about to start making the uphill walk towards Silbury Hill. Looking at the avenue from the opposite end now, that we started. Um, and you can see actually how, how much of an incline is there. You, know, you can't see the stone circles at all, or Avery Village. There's a group of people up ahead of us. They've got some sort of, they've got sort of teenage kids with them. And as they, what's interesting is they've obviously looked slightly bored on this walk. They've gotten to the top of this brow and they've all just stopped <laughs> to stare at Silbury Hill because it's this sort of arresting. It does, it stops you in your tracks. It's just incredible. I spoke to Lally Macbeth from Stone Club about her first visit to Avebury. And so did you walk, so when you came down to the end of the um, avenue, mm. did you walk up the slope and then mm -hmm. Silbury Hill is kind of parallel to your eye line? And yes. then you walk down, and as you're walking down, Silbury Hill's getting bigger. Yeah. Because, because of no, the way that you see. That is so amazing, isn't mm. it? It's a real, yeah, I, I, I still can't quite understand it, but it sort of disappears and then a bit, and you're like, ooh. <laughs> um, and there's something about that's quite uncanny as well. I think it sort of adds to the whole mystery of Avebury, doesn't it? It's like they're playing a sort of almost like a practical joke on you from the past of like, it's here. Oh, no, it's not. <laughs> yeah. so, so tell me about that. Did anything sort of magical or mysterious happen to you when you were there? 
Mm, that's an interesting question. Uh, not as such. Like, I am definitely someone who really experiences, um, yeah, a kind of quite strong sense of place and, and sort of uh, feelings. And actually, in Avery itself, I didn't feel that. But when we walked up to Silbury Hill, there was this amazing moment where the moon was right above it, uh, you know, almost completely centrally. And that was incredibly a uh, beautiful moment. It just, you know, that sort of sense of feeling completely in the right place at the right time and a uh, sense of wonder and just amazement at, at the landscape. But then also when we went up to the Long Barrow and were wandering through there, I, I, I did have a very strong sensation when I got inside that I shouldn't be in there and I had to leave. Leave. What do you mean? Leave the circle. Leave. <laughs> Leave the stones. You never will. Nobody leaves the circle. There, it was something quite different, because it wasn't like I was scared. I didn't feel... Um, I had to leave for that reason. It was more, I felt unwelcome or that I was in the wrong place, if that makes sense. Mm, makes perfect sense. I yeah. had a very similar experience when I first went. Um, Rob, I think, went in first. Mm. And I kind of got in through those first pillar stones at the front and went, nope. And not through fear, but it was just like, I shouldn't go in there. Mm. It was a sense it was a telling and and rob said oh really i don't feel that and he he went off and went in and i completely stopped and said no this is not that's for me. so interesting no completely the same thing uh it was just a real sense of like it's not um yeah i, sh I should i just shouldn't be in here and mm. i yeah i went and sort of stood outside and it was funny because there were it wasn't enormously busy the day we visited but there were a few people around because i kind of initially thought well, maybe it was that that i was yeah sort of spooked out and it's very dark and you know there's lots of spiders and I'm not too fond of them <laughs> but I, I reflected on it and I said no no it was it was definitely something more than that it was a real kind of just feeling of like I have to get out The energy at Avebury is hard to pin down, an eeriness. It's the sort of place where strange things happen. It has this magical draw, a siren-like quality that pulls you in. The huge silent stones seem to radiate some sort of power, a warmth, a white noise. To cross the threshold at Avebury and walk around is to walk in another realm, a place so mystical that time stands still you feel as if you were walking in another place, an area that might be otherworldly, and you can never seem to get enough of it. Such power! White! Brilliant! Possible to move! Energy! Force! Sucking! 
change. Changing. The energy at Avebury could be in part attributed to its geographical location along arguably the most prominent and powerful ley line in the country. The St Michael and Mary ley line is an energetic line that reaches from Land's End at the most western point of Cornwall, right across the land to Bury St Edmunds in Suffolk. What are these? Oh, they're ley lines. Ley lines, are they indeed? <laughs> Tell me you believe in all that sort of thing. I try to keep an open mind. Oh, come on. Invisible straight lines that are supposed to connect ancient sacred places, churches, mark stones, barrows... And stone circles. In her book, The Living Stones, artist Ethel Cahoon describes the phenomenon we now call the St Michael Ley Line as a line of magnetic energy, a pre-Christian force, which in modern terms could be thought of as the Michael force. But there are some interesting theories. Some people even believe that ley lines are power cables and that the sacred places they connect are temples built by Neolithic man as a storehouse of psychic energy. So imagine, if you can, a line of unseen power, one which has been tracked by dowsers and followed by pilgrims for centuries. This line is host to numerous sites of pilgrimage and power, including churches, stone circles, hills, and other significant sites such as St Michael's Mount, Glastonbury Tor, the Royston Caves, and of course, Avebury. This ley line cuts through the southern edge of the Avebury Circle. Whilst dowsing or tracking the line, Paul Broadhurst and Hamish Miller write in their 1989 book, The Sun and Serpent, about how they encountered the location of the mammoth stone, the Devil's Chair, as they find this is the exact spot where the St Michael line crosses the circle, as well as being the point at which the West Kennet Stone Avenue joins the Henge. Broadhurst and Miller go on to explain that those involved in the Avebury Rites at Dawn on Beltane were taking conscious part in an extraordinary act of spiritual alchemy. Halfway along the St Michael line, Avebury was the navel, the omphalos, the ultimate symbol of all birth, a meeting place between heaven and earth. It was the cosmic centre from which the world was nourished. No wonder that such a ritual was thought to be concerned with fertility and renewal, an affirmation of the cosmic and earthly energies fused in a timeless acknowledgement of the way the universe works. Anger of fire, fire of speech, breath of knowledge, render us free from harm. Return to us the innocence that once we knew. Complete the circle. Make us at one with nature and the elements. It is time. The energy around the Avery landscape has been an inspiration for artists, musicians, writers and TV shows such as the 1970s classic The Children of the Stones. In his 2017 book Folk Horror, writer Adam Scoville describes the feeling within Children of the Stones as building an unease within its landscape, making the link between the temporal and the astrological, 
the past rituals being allowed to repeat with horrific inevitability. The Children of the Stone's eeriness is in part derived from the filming location of Avebury itself. Among the raft of paranormal fixated children's cult television of the late 1970s, there's something insidiously eerie about Children of the Stones. Filmed on location at Avebury, Children of the Stones is set within the fictional village of Milbury. Written by Jeremy Berman and Trevor Ray, the story follows astrophysicist Adam and his teenage son Matt as they arrive in the sleepy village to study the 4,000-year-old stone circle that surrounds it. They gradually uncover the stones seem to hold some kind of ancient power connected to a black hole in space. One that the mysterious Hendrix harnesses to control the minds of the villagers, creating his creepy cult of the Happy Ones, none of which are allowed to leave the circle. Happy day, Mrs Warner. Happy day, Bob. Some of us are normal and the rest are Happy Ones. Yes. But they don't seem happy. Oh, I know, they always behave well. Never lose their tempers, always shine in class. But they're like... Zombies. Yes, robots, puppets. Children of the Stones is described by superfan, comedian and writer Stuart Lee as the scariest programme ever made for children. In his documentary Happy Day, produced for BBC Radio 4, Stuart Lee reflects on how Children of the Stones and Avery still resonates with him today. As a child, I thought the series was about resistance to conformity and the misfit individual's struggle for self-determination, and it inspired in me a lifelong interest in stone circles and long barrows. But revisiting it now, Children of the Stone seems more complex and ambiguous than perhaps the writers intended. Were we invited to be a little sympathetic to the Druid Hendrick and his attempts to mould a better tomorrow? Were the rationalists leaving the time-locked villages to their fate really the heroes of the peace? After a day wandering the Henge, I was none the wiser, and Children of the Stones, like the Avebury Circle itself, remained a mystery. Like a number of television shows produced at the time, Children of the Stones contains many of the themes of folk horror, Landscapes set tales of the supernatural, isolation and themes of superstition, paganism, sacrifice and the dark aspects of nature, all hidden within the bucolic pastoral representations of a countryside as a place of calm and restful escape. The series allowed its young viewers to connect with an ancient magic, layered histories of ritualistic practices, occultism, astrology and science connection to our past and its relationship with the land and the power of nature. As Scofield puts it, it is this combination of ideas that makes the series such an effective and compelling watch. But there's little doubt that all of these elements are rooted within the Avery landscape itself. Whether it's the aesthetic principles of the programme or its narrative themes, those such as power, control, entrapment, ancient history and astrophysics, Boiling all of them down still brings us to the village's rolling green fields, its stone avenues and its gravelly country paths.
seems to be this kind of this zeitgeist energy of being interested in stones and ancient sites which has really gathered speed over the last sort of decade uh, when Rob and I first started working with each other we were we went off on a tour and we kind of made this mission to go to all of the ancient sites in the British Isles which we've been doing now for 10 years and we've seen hundreds of them but we're still nowhere near complete <laughs> so it's, it's, it's kind of work. it's a life work yeah a lifetime's kind of work you know research work and research but it's it's really popular at the minute uh, to be into stones and well, I feel that there is this urge to reconnect with our lives, our sort of ancestral lives, our ancestral rights. We've come so far around this wheel of capitalism that we are now kind of going, do you know what? I am just, that world is oversaturated for me. I'm not interested in it. I'm interested in the land and knowing, thinking about how I can live responsibly in the land. And a lot of that includes the reflection of looking at our ancestors and looking at, in particular, these ancient walkways that still exist, these pathways, um, and the idea of pilgrimage to these sites. You don't necessarily have to be religious. You don't have to be a druid to get something highly spiritual or have a really, really spiritual experience at an ancient site and I think it's um it's just kind of like I said it's in the zeitgeist it's this this kind of collective searching looking kind of collective research that we're doing sort of like it's sort of generational now um I remember my dad was really into this kind of stuff in the 60s and um and then it was really not very cool for a long time oh god you're into stone sites and then it was like, oh, you're into stone sites. Oh, I am too. <laughs> like everyone wants to be in the club or something. And talking of being in the club, here's Lally from Stone Club again. Avebury is a place that I for years had wanted to visit um I had obviously you know it's it's kind of it's one of those places that you see an awful lot if you're interested in standing stones of course it crops up time and time again um and then finally last summer I uh, I decided I was going to take my pilgrimage for my birthday um, and Matthew my uh, stone club co-founder and partner had been there many times and so he was my guide for the day, which was really lovely to visit with someone who knew it and knew the landscape really well. Because I think I think if I'd just visited there for the first time on my own, I might have just sort of seen Avebury itself and not expanded to the wider area and gone and seen Silbury Hill. And I think made the experience much more special because I just had a, a much wider view, I suppose, of the whole landscape. Mm. And it really opened it up. Uh, rather than just being the kind of national trust like day out, it was uh, it felt much more magical, kind of exploring all these slightly more secret spots. And uh, yeah, it it was amazing. 
uh, really, you know, really, really did leave an impression. And I think actually, in some ways, was much more magical than I was anticipating. I really wasn't sure whether it would live up to uh, what I had thought. And it, it did in every way. <laughs> There's this idea that presents itself with Avebury, I think, which is that it sort of beckons you when the time is ready. Like it'll be like you were saying, it was kind of on your journey and therefore the time presented itself for you to visit. I feel like it kind of it, it kind of mm. beckons you when it's ready for you. Um, I think that's really true. And actually, I've heard that from a lot of people I've spoken to about it have kind of actually I think of any other site probably apart from Stonehenge perhaps it has that uh very strong sense of I think people always remember the first encounter they've had with it which is really interesting because lots of sites it's like oh you know I went there lots of times or you know there's not that one particular moment that they first encountered it but Avery definitely has that and it is that I think it it does beckon you in a way because it is quite strange I'd never visited there. I mean, I'm, you know, been tromping around to see lots of stones for a long time. And also it isn't particularly far from lots of places that I have visited over the years quite frequently. So I think it was just the right moment. It yeah. was, yeah, <laughs> it, it, the time was then. Yeah. Um, but it was a pretty, I mean, it's it was a pretty magical thing to do around my birthday because my birthday's uh St John's Eve so it's around the solstice so mm. it's it's kind of an amazing point in the year I always think to do things like that for the first time I always kind of treat it as a a renewal period The sun, although we can't see it, has risen here at the Temple of the Ancient Britons at Avery, at the end of the shortest night. We say to the sun, Hail and welcome! Hail and welcome! It is solstice dawn. Oh, the red holly berry and the white mistletoe, light to your fire, soon it may snow. Bring in the green, bring in the green. Now it is you, we must bring in the green. Now the trees of the summer, they lay bare the lawn. Hard are the times for oak ash and thorn. Our heads rose now, the frost does adorn. But soon is the time that the sun is reborn. Oh, the red holly berry and the white mistletoe. Light the yule fire, soon it may snow. Bring in the green, bring in the green. Now it is you, we must bring in the green. Now Jack in the green is a very strange man. Though he dies every autumn, Every spring, and each year on his birthday. 
day we will dance through the streets and in return Jack he will ripen our wheat Jack in the green Jack in the green now we'll all dance each Those clips captured at Avebury at key points during the wheel of the year, summer, winter and spring. Avebury for many is still a site of worship, the temple of the ancient Britons, visited to mark rites of seasonal passage. Visitors commune with Avebury in their own personal way. For me, it represents a site of renewal and rebirth, a place where I come to to recharge and leave feeling refreshed and anew. When Rob proposed to me, it became the site of new beginnings. Prior to that, I had been in a space consumed with grief following the unexpected death of my father. And the experience I had here on winter solstice in 2017 was in a way a rebirth. Alongside being a site of sentimental meaning, and of sacred spiritual connection. Avery has also served as an inspiration for us as artists, responding to the landscape within our own practices, both individually and collaboratively, to Avery's magic. Communing with the stones through walking the landscape, exploring the energies and ritual practice, along with pattern and form within the site. Our engagement with Avery as an instrument or frequency led us to investigate through experiments with sound, radio signals, dowsing, synthesizers and video. Of course, this has come with its challenges due to Avery's unexplainable ability to interfere with any electrical equipment, often resulting in the loss of power or failure to record within the site, and then working again immediately after exiting the circle. The draw of Avebury's enchantingly magical landscape has enraptured visual artists with vastly different practices, including Paul Nash's paintings and photographs of the site, Derek Jarman's experimental film A Journey to Avebury, and Jeremy Deller's video piece Wiltshire Before Christ, which explores notions of mysticism, pagan symbolism and British identity, where the protagonist travels through time and space to Stonehenge by putting their finger in one of the stones at Avebury. And of course, Swedish artist Monica Shu, whose own journey to Avebury inspired both her art and spiritual practice, weaving symbolic iconography into her landscape compositions, forging a closer connection with her ancestors, both where they walked and where they dreamed. The effect of the sight on these artists as they step over the threshold into the realm of otherness, where the past is omnipresent, manifests as an overlay of Avebury's oscillating magic. I find myself now having a sort of a slightly different relationship with the site as at the time of recording this I am pregnant 
and I watch my belly grow upwards. Um, and I think that it looks like Silbury Hill, so much so that I refer to it as the tump. It's like the round beacon on the landscape, rising up like a big pregnant belly. Artist Monica Shu explores her connection with Avebury as the site of the mother in A Trip to Avebury, first published in Women's Spirit in 1978. We arrived at Avebury village on a beautiful winter day, just four days after Candlemas, during the waning moon. Amazing colossal stones, square, rough and squat, seem like human bodies and gigantic heads. I feel that here is the centre of the Mother Goddess. The earth around the stone circle is shaped and moulded in ridges and ditches. Many of the stones are mutilated and painful to look at, yet there still remains a great power, beauty and mystery in this whole space and its stones. From the road and from the village we have seen Silbury Mound in the distance, the pregnant earth womb of the mother. The magic mushrooms have now taken effect. I clutch a stone in my hand for safety and we plod across ploughed muddy fields. Endlessly we have to cross barbed wire fences, gripped by panic, wanting to find comfort and refuge with the breast slash eye slash womb belly rising up out of the landscape, so naked and so vulnerable. We scramble through marshlands and wilderness. I feel transported thousands of years back in time. Nearer her mound, we discover notices. The monument is closed due to erosion. Her womb is surrounded by water and shut off everywhere by layers of barbed wire fences. We feel stunned. The earth around the mound appears to move and flicker. Some swans are frozen motionless. I too feel caught in eternity, overtaken with sudden and enormous grief. The mother the entire mound cries through me. At one with her, I grieve our lost woman cultures, at the pollution and death of her land all around. What have they done to you, mother? What have they done? A man shouts from the road. I feel the overwhelming fear of a hunted female animal. Flee, get down from her womb, away from the road, away. The road stands for everything alien and evil, motors, patriarchal authority. We hear shots in the distance and airplanes overhead. Evil, evil and danger. We almost run, then slide down her side. As we walk slowly, with great effort, fear traces our way around the water moat, into the fields. We are safe. I now understand the meaning of Mother Earth something so enormous and so powerful, yet so painful. My own woman's body is like hers, violent yet gentle, powerful yet vulnerable. Following the directions leading to West Kennet Longborough, we walk up a long mud track and around the stones. Suddenly, we see the stark blackness from the entrance of the cunt mouth into her underground womb. Fear of being swallowed up by the intense darkness surprises me, but I overcome it and we enter. A totally other world is here, one of mystery, of power, of peace. Sounds are amplified in here, 
For a timeless moment, the stone chambers seem to breathe. I feel like gyrating, like a spiral. Then comes a great urge to lie down to sleep on the floor in the uterus room at the end of the passage. Here in her living darkness, there is great stillness, strange and powerful vibrations. I feel no sorrow nor vulnerability. This is the place of the winter and death goddess. This is her season, her realm. We are welcome here. Pettigrew and Rob McPherson and was commissioned by Legion Projects. Original music composed by Rob McPherson. Music excerpts include Liz for Rising by Bobby Besselet and the original TV soundtrack to Children of the Stones, amongst others. For a full list of audio and music excerpts, please see the show notes. The book's reference are The Sun and the Serpent by Paul Broadhurst and Hamish Miller, Mysterious Britain by Janet and Colin Board. Monica Shoe by Legion Projects, Folk Horror Hours Dreadful and Things Strange by Adam Scoville, The Living Stones by Ethel Cahoon, and The Modern Antiquitarian by Julian Colt. Plowing Old Patterns Raising New Ground is a series of listing works commissioned and produced by Matthew Robert Hughes and Una Hamilton Heller of Legion Projects. The theme tune is composed by Stephen Crow and graphic designs by Blue Firth. Any additional editing is by Una Hamilton Heller. This project has been supported by Arts Council England. Stay tuned for upcoming commissions and subscribe to the show. Bye for now and see you directly.